he has reached four Grand Slam final out of four Grand Slam he has played. It was just one match away, probably few points away in the tiebreak of the second set of Wimbledon to make the calendar Grand Slam once again this year. So what he's achieving on the court is just nothing short for remarkable and truly inspiring. And welcome to a brand new edition of Match Points here on TennisMajors.com, where we get together every now and again to discuss and debate the biggest topics in tennis. And we once again have our all-star panel and collection. There she is, Marian Bartoli. I see Carol Bouchard and, of course, Simon Cambers. Let's get started, gang, because we got a lot of ground to cover. And let's begin with Novak Djokovic. Once again, the world number one. He now has 24 Grand Slam titles, as we know, the all-time record. He is once again the world number one. But Djokovic says that if he wasn't Serbian, he would already be considered the best sportsman in history. Do you agree or disagree with Novak's latest controversial comments? Let us begin with Marian Bartoli. Marian. Well, it's a tough one because I think it's it's very difficult to compare all the sports and it's very difficult to sort of you know, goes into who is the best between Michael Jordan or Mohamed Ali or Carl Lewis or whoever, Michael Schumacher. I mean, you can name the list. Definitely is Novak part of the conversation? Absolutely. Can he sit in the table with the names I just said? Absolutely as well. But I, I do believe that what he's trying to say is because he's coming from a small country that was torn by war not so long ago, he obviously doesn't get the same recognition and, and media exposure if he would have been American, French, Western European in general, um, just because from where he's coming from. So I do agree on that part of the sentence with him, but I just don't like to compare sports in general because I used to idolize Michael Jordan when I was young. I used to love the track and field. I used to idolize Usain Bolt and I'm sure just as Novak as well. But can he sit with those people who have been the greatest athletes of all time in any sport combined? Absolutely more than ever. I mean, what he has been showing at the U.S. Open this year, once again, at 33 years of 36, sorry, years of age, is just surely extraordinary. He has reached four Grand Slam final out of four Grand Slam he has played. It was just one match away, probably few points away in the tiebreak of the second set of Wimbledon to make the calendar Grand Slam once again this year. So, what he's achieving on the court is just nothing short for remarkable and truly inspiring. Um, but I just think what he's trying to say is probably if he would have not come from a torn war country that has also his history in the background and the most most exposure country definitely will have um, a lot more publicity out of it. Carol Bouchard, agree or disagree with the comments Djokovic has made about being considered the greatest of all time sportsman if he wasn't Serbian. I disagree with this one and I agree about the marketability with Marion, like the sponsors and whatever. For a long time he wasn't earning as much money as even Andy Murray because they look which country you're from and they say, okay, that can sell more. But it's been gone for a long time. It's really marketable and somebody like, you know, uh, Anna Ivanovic never had an issue being Serbian and I think the I mean, for me, there are a lot of reasons why people still refuse to call him the greatest. Uh, I have never heard that was because he was Serbian. 
um, the theory that's mine since years that because it was always supposed to be Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and he crashed the party he broke the narrative and people are still mad about it and people who are Federer fans are going to be Federer people until their last breath so it's not even rational anymore of course Novak Djokovic is the greatest tennis player of all time and you can put him on the table around the table with greatest you know sports athlete sorry sportsman sport you know athlete of of all time, obviously, but I don't think it's, it has nothing to do with nationality if people disagree or not. And it's a bit, you know, it's, it's a dangerous path to make people believe that, oh, that's because it's Serbian. It's not, you know, then you're trying to devise people because of their nationalities. I don't think that's what he meant. I agree with Marion that, that wasn't maybe what he exactly meant. And I, I don't think that's the right thing to, you know, to, to spread. Um, I think, honestly, he's a polarizing personality and he's owning that. He has many ills he's willing to die on because he believes in a lot of things. Well, when you're a polarizing personality, you're going to polarize people. And even if you have the greatest results, they're going to come and say, over my dead body, I'm going to call you the greatest ever because I cannot stand you. And it has nothing to do with his nationality. So I hope he, I hope he gets over this because it would be a pity that in his mind he's still thinking that because he's Serbian, some people don't want to call him the greatest. I really don't think it has anything to do with it. Well, I mean, part of me wonders, you know, it's, it's a case of we weren't in the room again. You know, you, you don't know. He said those comments in, in, to Serbian press, so we don't know the exact translation. Uh, obviously, um, you know, some of the Serbian journalists are very good and they did translate it for us. But, you know, you miss nuances and you don't know what the question was to him in the first place. And I, I, I can understand where he's coming from if, if he thinks that, uh, you know, there's a, a bias against Eastern European players in terms of the way they are considered by the West because if you're an American or a Briton or a you know a French or German you have the whole of the West behind you and you have that marketing machine and maybe you're more more accepted um but I think Carol's right I think you know that the days of him being not marketable are long gone it, it used to be the case absolutely for sure that if I was a, as a freelance journalist trying to sell a an interview with a newspaper um, which of course is a, a higher level than a than somebody who's a staffer because they can get what they want in the paper pretty much. But from a freelance, you have to really get a good name and make it good. So Federer, Nadal, Serena, Sharapova would always sell newspapers. Even Caroline Wozniacki would also always be a favourite of newspaper editors in Britain. Djokovic, Novak Djokovic, was a tough sell for a long time, but. In the last, I'd say, eight to ten years or so, that's not been the case. You know, if I have an interview with Novak, it would definitely get in the paper. So I, I understand where he's coming from. Um, I, I think there's a, probably a few nuances that we're missing. But in terms of whether he's a, the greatest sportsman of all time, I think it's just great pub chat. You know, that that's you know, you could have that conversation forever. We've talked about it before. Rod Laver, you know, he missed five years of Grand Slams at his absolute peak, having just won the calendar slam, 20 Grand Slams he could have won. Would he have been the greatest had he won all those? I don't know. Comparing eras in tennis is hard enough. Comparing Novak with other great sportsmen and women around the world is, is impossible. But what is funny to me is that, you know, he has found another drive. Like, he needs motivation. He has the record of the Grand Slam titles. He's the goat in tennis. And so his brain is like, wait, why aren't they calling me the greatest of all time? I mean, I should be greater than you know, Michael Jordan. And maybe, he's, you know, he's not going to go on for 10 more years just because he wants to prove them that, okay, I'm the greatest, period. <laughs> yeah, Djokovic's um, status may rely more upon being the villain than Serbian. 
it's difficult to be considered the best when you're the bad guy. That's a choice that he's made. Let's continue on with Djokovic from the clay court through Cincinnati, Djokovic Alcarez. This duel has been heralded as the new big rivalry in men's tennis, and justifiably so. But after the U.S. Open, it, it seems that Djokovic is slightly ahead of the young Spaniard. Would you agree or disagree that Djokovic is, in fact, still spots a place, uh, spots rather ahead of Carlos Alcarez? And let us begin with you, Simon Cambers. If you asked this question straight after Wimbledon, would you have said that Alcaraz was ahead of Novak and things were changing? I, I find this a little bit difficult to, to, to sort of sum up just because we're answering it now. Yeah, I mean, Novak has certainly made sure that there's no mental scarring from losing Wimbledon, that's for sure. And then the, what he did in Cincinnati perhaps got rid of that in the first place. Performance in New York, outstanding, of course. Um, I don't know. I mean, I imagine that come Australia, uh, both of them will be a lot fresher. And then it'll be really interesting to see who, who comes out on top. And you've got to think that Alcaraz's level of improvement is going to be greater than Novak's because just because of his age. So, yeah, at this moment in time, if they met tomorrow, you'd maybe give Novak a slight edge. But I think it could change every week. We've seen the way that their two game styles match up so well. I mean, they are basically killing each other outside on the court every time they play. Um, it's phenomenal to see. Uh, but I don't think, I mean, if the, if Novak has an edge, it's, it's very slight. Yeah. Rivalry um, relies upon both parties having something the other want. There being an, you know, a fair exchange. Um, rivalries can't be one-sided. This one appears to be getting now for hopefully a small window where there is the back and forth, which you've enjoyed this spring and this summer. So Carol Bouchard, same question. Is, in your opinion, Djokovic still ahead, all things considered, without recency bias, of the young Spaniard? It's crazy to me because I'm struggling calling it a rivalry when he's 20 years old and when he's 36. It seems completely insane. I seem more like it, it's a change of the guard and it's getting, you know, much longer than what we thought it would be and Novak is putting a hell of a fight. I would say Silias is ahead because I think mentally, mentally Novak is iron made. When he comes to the Grand Slam title, he's just so strong mentally. But now, I mean, Alcaraz is going to get more experience by, by, you know, by the weeks and physically the guy is a beast. I mean, there has to be a point where we saw it in Wimbledon. Um, I mean, Novak can push back the time so much longer, but I think now, yeah, it's, he's still ahead because mentally he's going on this court and he's like, buddy, I'm still the boss out there. And Alcaraz has this thing where he's, he can still get impressed. Wimbledon, it was a close call. Uh, he can still get nervous, but I mean, it should be one more season and then the nerves are going to go away and good luck with that. Marin Bartoli is, in fact, Djokovic still ahead of Carlos Alcaraz. I think we have to go slightly more deeper into the analysis. And when you look at the season, there is one who won three Grand Slam and one who won one Grand Slam, which is as simple as that. And one who played four Grand Slam final and, and one who played one Grand Slam final. I mean, even though Carlos didn't play the Australian Open, the injury that is still, unfortunately for him, taking throughout the season, it's not something that Novak had to face for a long period of time. When he was not playing, it was mainly due to the fact that he was not able to get into a country and played. So I think the fact that Carlos still being extremely young and because of his, the physicality of his game and the way he's playing, he's just more prone to having those small injuries. They're not sort of major injuries that put him on the side for a long time, even though last year he missed the year's end championship and therefore the Australian Open this year. You can still, you know, the US Open he came up with having a thigh injury or at least a 
something that was bothering him here and there, and you could see against Daniel Medvedev, he was not moving at the speed and not playing at the speed he would have liked to play. I heard by after the US Open now, he's having a sort of wrist injury as well, and it's just about how he can manage all of that. Then when it comes down to match play, of course, it's very tense. I mean, we saw it in Roland Garros, we saw it in Wimbledon, we saw it in Cincinnati, on different surfers across the board. The level is, is, is a very tiny margin and can go either way on any given day. But I think we have to just look at a broader way on how each other are handling the whole season. And out of that, for now, as it stands, Novak is doing a better job at that. That doesn't mean it's not going to change, of course. But you can't ask the same energy to a guy who has been doing everything and winning everything at 36 years of age and someone who is 20 and just wants to conquer the world. And obviously, Novak is more towards the end of his career than the beginning. But I just think that the way he has managed this season, and again, just having kicked out of the Australian country, coming back winning, having not been able to play the US Open, being kicked out of the US Open because of the incidents against um, Karen Obusta and win again, just the mental strength and the ability to just bounce back from anything. It's just, I found it extraordinary. And I don't think a lot of people could pretend to have the same mental strength as him. You know, actually this generation, I mean, Rune, Alcaraz, they want to beat him so bad, but maybe they should also take time to learn from him. Because as you said, when you see oh, Alcaraz is dealing with his body, I mean, you, you can get worried pretty quickly. And maybe you should look on the other side and say, okay, because you still, you're already hearing like, oh, he needs to maybe adjust his game so he will last longer. He's 20 years old. I think it's more due to the, to the different game style. It's more to do the different game style. When you look at Olger, it's very muscly. And now he has this major, major back injury because you can say everything is just like really forced. And it's the same for Carlos in some sort of ways. Novak, to me, is a, if you will build the perfect tennis athletes, you can't build someone better than that. The flexibility, the smoothness, everything moves freely. That's why his body can last for so long. And, you know, that's also why Carlos and Olga got so early, so good as well. So it's, it's the pros and the cons from where their game style are and the way they are built physically. But for sure, they will have to watch out because if they want to last that long, I mean, it's going to take a, a lot on, his, on both of their bodies. Yeah, and don't forget, don't, don't, don't forget all the problems that Novak had when he was 19, yeah, 20, 21, health-wise. You know, they should remember. Going off script for just a moment, based on what Carol said earlier about their ages and how incredible it is, um, the difference and the fact that this rivalry is in, in full effect, all things considered, game, mind, maturity, the way they relate to the public, who's more impressive with what they're doing? Just give me a name. Is it Djokovic in his or Alcarez in his? All things considered, who's more impressive right now with all of that? Simon. Impossible. <laughs> impossible to answer that. Come on. It, 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 it might have been possible to answer that until you said who's more impressive because then you can, you know, that expands it to... Alcaraz's enthusiasm and his charisma on court, and you know, right, right. If, if you right. forget about that, okay. then Novak. But yeah, I think when you throw it all in, okay. it's much more clo much closer. Which is more impressive, Carol? Based on their age, all things, is it now Novak or is it Alcaraz? Novak. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, we had twenty years okay. watching that guy sliding and running everywhere. Like he's still twenty. It's it's insane. When the, I mean, the effort on the body because he makes it look like it's it's normal. It's not. It's it's insane. <laughs> Now I've played the game and definitely to do what he's doing at 36 is just out of this world. I mean, you can do a lot of things when you're 20 based on the energy and just you, know, you go out there, you have no fear. In some sort of ways, when you're 20, when I played my first Grand Slam final, I was 20, everything looks easy for me. You know, I, 
I would go on center court for the first time and it's like, everything is fun. It's enjoyable, it's fun. When you get to 28, 29, everything starts to hurt. You know, you have been doing that for so long to find the motivation and to do it again. I found it 29 was very difficult, yet alone 36, I never reached that age. So for me, doing that 36, everything accumulated, which is traveling the tour year around, going with your children, having to raise them at the same time, being a father, being a husband, going through you know all the years with especially the since the COVID-19 situation having to defend the status having the young guards who are coming at you and wants to take your place and kick you out and still resist to all of that and deliver that tops everything else for me I do want to give a shout out to Alcaraz though at his age his game his maturity how good he is with the media how good he is with the public Absolutely. how good he is with the fans on the court no tantrums no meltdowns, no childish behavior. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for the complete package that he is um, at just the age of 20. No, absolutely, but you're asking right, me compared there. to the best of all time. I mean, you compare him, you compare right, himself right. to someone else, and I would tell you Alcaraz for sure. I understand. Novak not as good perhaps with the media sometimes. All right, let's continue on now. During the UTS podcast, All on the Table with Monfils, Pear, and Muratoglu, Benoit Pear said that tennis should not be in the Olympics. Do you agree that it shouldn't? Let us begin with Kara Bouchard. Oh, no, I don't, I don't agree at all. I mean, you just have to see how, how much tears they cry each time they win a medal there. And you have to see all the other athletes running to the tennis players at the, every corner, at the, at the, the, the athlete restaurants. I mean, t tennis likes basketball. You bring the biggest sports stars in the world. It's a fantastic window for the sport. And all these generations, apparently except Benoit Père, grew up watching the Olympic Games. I mean, you ask a lot of the French players, like we've been dreaming of it since we're kids because we've been watching it. Svitolina winning for Ukraine, she was, she was crying for minutes. I mean, it's a generation issue. Um, I mean, it's okay, like the big team doesn't like the Olympic Games, doesn't care, he doesn't play, but he's not coming to tell everybody else yeah, we should walk out. It's just, it's an individual sport. Okay, they are multimillionaires. We all know that. But they have their spot here because they're helping the games. I mean, it's about dreaming and the, the kids watching. They're crazy about it. Like they were watching, I remember Michael Jordan, the dream team. Like, come on, he's putting people in sports like, like crazy. So, I mean, Benoit Père doesn't like the Olympic Games, but honestly, the Benoit Père doesn't like a lot of things regarding sports, so. Marion Bartoli, I know you're a big fan of Benoit Pair and his thoughts and oh, yes. opinions shared. So much. Um, I'm actually holding the fan page of Benoit Pair on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm a ghost there. I'm hiding it. But yeah, deep in Sam is such a huge fan. Um, I mean, I can't say it better than Carol. For me, it's just when you see how much it means for Zverev when he won last year, when it means for Benchich when she won, what it means for Monica Puig when she made her dream become a reality, wanting for her country, I think, being one of the only gold medal ever won by her country. I mean, that's all the stories we absolutely love to see. What it means to Serena when she won the, um, the gold it's in London and the doubles as well with Venus. How much for Roger, he was trying to get that gold medal, even though he won everything he has been winning. Same for Rafa, same for Novak. He gave absolutely everything to the Tokyo Olympics to get the calendar Grand Slam and the golden because he was trying to go for the gold as well. And I mean, those people have been winning everything is possible to win on a tennis court. So I think for me, to see actually those type of champions committed to play at the Olympics for our sport is something extraordinary. That's where we get an audience that is different from the tennis audience. When you look at Andy Murray winning the 2012 Olympics, 
at Wimbledon, it was a completely different audience and crowd. Actually, everyone was rooting for him, even though he was playing against Roger. You do the exact same match in the Wimbledon final, it was sort of the other way around because the sort of tennis fan, even though he was in London, would have preferred Roger. So I think to actually get a different crowd, that's how you inspire the new generation. That's how you get people to play tennis. That's such an amazing thing for the sport. And honestly, I think Benoit is saying that because he had an issue with the French Tennis Federation and his behavior at the Olympics in, in 2016 in Rio and still sort of bittersweet about it. But absolutely everything positive about the Olympics and having the Olympics for tennis. Simon, I'm going to make you the why guy once again to try and tell us what you believe might be inside the mind thereof. So if you do not agree, or even if you do, why is he saying this? Well, Benoit likes a bit of controversy, doesn't he? tiny bit so maybe he just fancied saying it i mean you know it's not it's not the uh he's not the first person to say it i mean you look at the, the ones who the players who generally don't commit to the olympics in tennis these days are the american men which is really interesting it used to be it used to be sort of marty fish well he played eventually but john isner didn't like it you know i think roddick skipped it once um you know so some people don't think it should be in there. I mean, as Carol said, the argument about multi-millionaires is long gone because every sport's professional these days and plenty of other sports in the Olympics have people who are paid more than the uh, the tennis players. They do take it seriously, which is important. Mentioning Andy Murray, I mean, it'd be interesting to know what would have happened to Andy Murray's career if he'd not won the Olympics, if he'd not been able to, to have that glorious moment. And then you have the other moments at the Olympics where, as Carol sort of alluded to, where people meet each other from different sports and uh, and in all different ways and and even people like Roger Federer Mirka that's where they met so you know these these things are all part of sport i have no issue anymore with tennis being in the olympics i think when it first got let back in it was a bit weird it felt a bit wrong but still then you know athletes athletics track and field were being paid in trust funds and it was all a little bit sort of between the amateur and professional era but we're we're totally beyond that now. I think Benoit is just stirring it up for a bit of fun. All right, let's continue on then. In the Speaking of Lever Cup, in the monfils auger Oliassim match at the Lever Cup, the Canadian complained that Monfils was taking too long uh, and too much time between points, particularly during the fifth game. Monfils said that he thinks the event should be treated more like an exhibition. Auger Oliassim, on the other hand, uh, does not see it that way. Is Lever Cup an exhibition? To you, or is it a real, actual team event? How do you view it as such, Simon Cambers? Let's begin. It's still, to me, an exhibition uh, until until you have proper points to qualify, until you have a proper qualifying system for it, um, based totally on merit. Um, you can't call it anything other than a, an invitational. Basically, it is. It's a great event. I mean, it's you know, it, it gets the crowds in. People love it when they're there. Um, it can have some great moments. I think, you know, I was reading quite a lot about this one. Pe people seem to be enjoying the doubles more than the singles, which sort of got me thinking about, you know, whether it should be a mixed event going forward. And maybe maybe that would be something that could make it more interesting. But I just think, um, you know, players, if they lose in it, of course they're annoyed at the time and they're desperately trying to win for their teammates and having some fun. But that disappointment will be gone in a flash because then they remember that they haven't lost any points. They didn't lose any status. They haven't not won a Grand Slam or anything like that. It's It just can't be considered on the same level yet. Martin Bartoli, Labour Cup, exhibition or actual team event? 
No, for me, it's the actual team event. And when you look at Roger last year, if it would have been an exhibition, especially he's organizing it. I mean, he had match point and he still lost the match. And I think he would have been treated as an exhibition. I would say, well, you know, Roger, it's your last match. It was actually to win the whole thing. You may actually give it to him if it was an exhibition. You know, as we all know, when we play an exhibition, sometimes even the scoreline is arranged before the match and you say, okay, you're going to win the first set, you won the second set, and then whatever happens in the super tiebreak. It no was way. not the case at all. Yeah, of course. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> like, oh my God, you just no like, you were just born now, you did, you never fought on an exhibition. I mean, honestly, it's like, yeah, it's like, how surprising. But yeah, it do happen. Um, but no, it was not the case. And, and they went all out. And even though it was Roger Farewell, and they went all out and they didn't want him to win and they want Team World to win and whatever happens. And we all know what happened at the end. But for me, even though, of course, I do agree with Simon, there is no points and there is no ATP points and there is no sort of a big title lineup at the end. But I do think that the guys play lights out tennis and they go for it to actually win the point first of all they get Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe on the chair they don't want to feel embarrassed about themselves I mean those are two major icons of our sports that everyone will know they have Roger standing on the side they don't want to look at them saying yeah whatever it's an exhibition no absolutely not they want to give absolutely their best and when you look at I think it was last year Stefanos against Frances or something like this. It was a crazy match and Frances having so many match points. If it was an exhibition, do you think he would try that hard? I don't think so. So I think Roger has been able to find the perfect recipe without being an official ATP events, of course, but making it so interesting that actually everyone do not consider it as an exhibition. Kara Bouchard, last word. Labor Cup, exhibition or real team event for you? For me... For me, it's been an exhibition, but I agree with Marion that the players are getting so much into it, probably because Roger is just threatening them or whatever backstage. <laughs> but no, but they are, they are incredible competitors. The thing is, I, I adore Phoenix. He's such a nice guy. I still cannot understand what, what happened there because you're playing Gael Monfils, even in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. He's, go he's going to be doing these kind of things because that's just how he plays. And I'm sure Gael came in and Roger just told him just and have fun. You know, the crowd, they want to see, they want to see you doing crazy things. It's for Gael, it's clearly an exhibition. He's been told just enjoy, you know, and what, what the, what, what is the harm in that? So I didn't understand why it was just running up Felix like this. Just you're playing Gael Monfils, there's no point. You're going to get a Gael Monfils show. Just win the match and people are having fun. I mean, maybe they're not coming, the world team is not coming into it like the, the Europe one. I don't know. Like you talked about Federer losing the last year, and I was like, why aren't they just giving him the win? I couldn't understand. Like, what are you doing with the guys last night? So maybe Europe is not treating it like the world is treating it. All right, let's continue on. Speaking of Team USA thrashing, according to our editors, uh, Team World. And with no Federer, maybe no Nadal, and soon possibly no Djokovic. Does something need to change for the Laver Cup? And if so, what should that be? Simon, want to get us started again? Well, this is sort of linked to the, the whole exhibition status. You've got, you've got to have the best players playing. And, you know, no surprise and pretty smart of Federer to say, I'd love to see Alcaraz and Novak and Medvedev in my team. Yeah, who wouldn't? Um, but it depends. And I'm sure he'd love Rafa to be back if Rafa's fit and well and thinking like he might carry on a bit longer than, he, than he'd said. But it, it's really difficult to to get people to play these events when, when you know, let's say somebody's carrying a little niggle of an injury. 
they won't want to play it full flat out in the way that they should do. So that that's a hard that's a hard sell. It is going to be difficult with no Federer playing, with no Nadal, eventually with no Novak. But I think this is what what you're going to see is you're going to see Federer become captain of the Team Europe team, and you know, and maybe somebody was suggesting Andy Roddick could be uh, that could be a good one for Team World. Uh, if you have that, you add a bit more spice back into it, um, and I think that pr- it probably needs. For it to really succeed, unless you expand it to men and women and make it sort of really quite interesting or extra interesting, um, it needs a bit of Federer's help to get it through these next few years of transition. And the spot in the calendar is rough. I mean, you're right after the US Open. It was a former Davis Cup spot that was held. They were trying to send people in Argentina and were like, nope, it's not going to happen. So, but I think get the woman in. What is the reasoning for not having the woman in? It makes no sense. Imagine Coco Golf playing right now. I mean, it's also a question of both the casting and the money because I'm sorry, it has to cost them a freaking lot of money to the guarantees and everything. So, of course, you need the, the best guys and to make it competitive. But apparently, the players love it. So, that's already something. But get the woman in, change the date maybe, or just pray that Alcaraz and Djokovic next year. Can, can do it or Nadal can, you know, one last time. But sure, it's about the cast, but maybe, I, honestly, I don't understand why we don't get the woman in, so. I don't think change, but add, for sure. Um, you know, I was actually watching it on TV and when Roger gave that interview to Jim Courier, the, I mean, the whole place was just packed and I think it was one of the highlights of the weekend, to be honest with you, and just seeing back Roger coming and talking about his new life, that was very interesting. I just think he has so much charisma. He has done so much for the sport. Everyone just loves him, to be honest. And I just feel if you had him in some sort of more ways, I agree on the captain side, um, you know, having him involved, being on the bench, listening to his advice, I think everyone would be interesting. Obviously, they need the young guns to come because... Novak and, and Rafa are not going to last forever. So you need to think about a long-term plan for the next five or ten years and who are going to be around for the next five or ten years. Well, it's Olger, it's Felix, it's it's Carlos, it's all those young guys who are there are playing uh, at the top at around their 20s. But if you add now the girls who are really bringing a lot of attention as Coco, as Iga, as you know all the girls who are on Jabber, for example, you're really bringing some spice back to the table. And I think that would be a lot more interesting because... It will always happen that you have last-minute injury retirement, some people not showing up or whatever. So you need to have several highlights and people you can market in order for you to have a successful event. You can't rely only on one or two because if those ones are not coming for any reason, then you're let, left with not that much. So you need to secure yourself with having um, different sort of people to be able to market. So I think definitely including the girls will be absolutely the way forward. Having Roger on the bench, even though I know he loves Bjorn, but I think maybe as a co-captain or whatever, they want to do it. I'm not sure they want to kick out straight away John and Bjorn because it's the way they've been building it. But maybe just add two co-captain or something. I think it would be very, very interesting and absolutely including the girls. A part of me would like the, the captains to play as well. That's what I want to see. I want to see it, it, tie, it, 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 tie, it tied at the end. And McEnroe and Borg Mirka going at it. You're with that, Simon. Mirka coming at you right now. <laughs> I mean, how good would that be? Yeah. All right, gang, let's continue on. It was just a few weeks ago, Coco Golf broke through in winning her first Grand Slam event and doing such at the U.S. Open. Listen, ESPN in the United States um, were packaging her, wanting her to be 
the replacement Serena, the next chapter, if you will. And I guess they got lucky in that sense. New York, obviously, the American. She's such a likable young woman um, for so many reasons. Obviously, so many people wanted to see her do well, and she did in winning this U.S. Open, this breakthrough, if you will. But we've seen this in recent years in the women's side, and we thought there was the next. The ne so I ask you, what is next for Coco Golf? And how far do you believe, as of today, she actually, not can, but will go? Marin Bartoli, you're the only one of us that have won a major, so you tell us. <laughs> um, multiple Grand Slam winners and number one in the world. Absolutely. Without a doubt. She's so driven. She won that so much. I got so emotional, honestly, when she hugged her dad and her mom came because it's just such a strong family. has been... Her dream, of course, but her family has been showing so much support all over these years. I know her since she played against Ostapenko in the final in Linz back in 2019. So that's how far I sort of started to discover her. And I knew she would be the one of the greatest, of course. And for her to do it in her home Grand Slam was something so special. The, the stadium was so loud. I mean, I was covering those matches, especially with the roof closed. It was like, I felt I was in a nightclub for two hours. I mean, that was just, it was so loud. I couldn't even hear myself talking to the microphone. That's how loud it gets. And and obviously it got a little bit under the skin of Sabalenka, but I think this just a fairy tale story, the story, it looks so much like walking into the steps of Serena. Then of course it's a big gap between winning one and winning 23. But I just think she just, she has a complete package. She thinks like a 30 years old, even though she's 19. She has the physicality and the fitness is just incredible. The forehand, you know, we talked a lot about the forehand, but I think with her new coach, the Spanish coach, as well as Brad Gilbert, she has been doing a little change in her technique and the forehand is definitely working a lot better. And I just think she solves problems so well, whatever the problems are, because let's not forget, of course she won the title, but the first one was far from easy starting out from the first round. So you come out on the great summer. You're one of the top favorite. Everyone starts to talk about you. You're all over ESPN all day long. Your first night and match on Ash Stadium, you're 19, and all of a sudden you lose the first set. You can easily get under your skin and say, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to fall again the pressure again, and it's not going to be my year, and then see what next year is about to give me. And no, she, she just stood there. She found solution. And she went on like that until actually the back end of the tournament was slightly more easy for her. But the first two or three, four round was really, really difficult. I mean, when she played against Elise Mertens, it was the same. She was struggling big time. And the way for me, she has been able to just handle all of that, take it down, finding solution. Didn't play her best tennis, I think, either. But still won a slam. I mean, there's just so much positive. She's definitely, definitely not a fluke. She's going to get on the top of the game. Absolutely. Kira Bouchard, I'm going to add one more question to this. Not just what's next for her and how far will she go. How much credit does Justin Bieber receive? I refuse to receive? talk about Justin Bieber. Remember, she Bieber. refused to lose knowing that he was there. Yeah. Don't do it. I'm French. We do not, we do not care about Justin Bieber over here. She, she said she, she, said she oh couldn't lose in front of Bieber. Yes, so if exactly. Bieber, there, be perfect. Knows, Same night. for me yeah. with Pierce Brosnan. That's to say. <laughs> Yeah, but at least Pierce Brosnan was James Bond. I mean, Justin, Justin Bieber, Bieber. Yeah. is like a child. Very I mean, come on, for 19 years old, Justin Bieber is like really high. Oh my God. Can oh, you have to perspective yes. compared to your age? <laughs> Carol, Carol. I had to look him up. All kidding aside, Carol. All, all kidding aside, Carol. How far? How far will Coco go? She'll go far. I mean, we won't get the second Grand Slams in Rome. We won't get a, a Maradou Cano situation because she's been 
working for this for a decade despite being that young she's so driven the, the maturity the maturity is, is ridiculous you, you read the press conferences and you're like she's been out there for two decades she's won 10 grand slam titles already what's going on she knows why she's here she knows it can you know it can stop tomorrow she knows she's not going to go and win everything because i don't think she's that ahead of the rest of the pack she's going to keep working i don't think the you know the fame is going to go to her head with the sponsors and everything because she's been exposed for years already so really she multiple grand slam titles world number one the body seems to be holding up so well um as marion said she, she i mean the crazy thing for me is that you're watching coco Gauff, roland garros and you're watching her at the us open and you're like that's not the same player she and the click was just oh i need to be aggressive again yes coco it's been it's been a long time coming but once it's done for a player at this level i don't see it going away so I'm, I'm curious to see how she's going to handle the not the pressure because she's used to it but the change of status now you've made it you won a grand slam title they're all going to want your skin so and i think she's going to enjoy it i have a feeling like she's going to enjoy the battle so no i, I mean sky is the limit for her she's so advanced not maybe in the level but in the way she approaches her sport that she doesn't have any issues a, a proud Muratoglu academy alum a product thereof I remember 2016, I was there to help MC the charity gala, Patrick and company, and she's 12 years old with her dad. <clears throat> and Serena's behind us, it's gala night, and she gives me her phone. She says, will you take a picture of me with Serena behind me? And she was so nervous. And I said, didn't you play her in a commercial? Like you were in a commercial together, you know Serena. And, and she said, yes. She was too scared to ask for a photo in the photo setting. She just wanted a picture with Serena behind her, that kind of creeper photo. Um, and, and so she seems so level-headed and grounded. It feels, Simon, like, like this is the, the dawning of maybe a different, nothing against Osaka. We got excited a few years ago and others, but this feels like maybe the start of something so much larger and longer to run, Simon. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I mean, you know, if you compare Coco to Naomi Osaka, yes, Osaka's won four slams and, you know, hopefully she comes back in January and does really well. But, you know, in terms of her personality, in terms of personality and her profile and how warm a person she is and how driven she is, I think there's no contest. You know, Coco Goff is a, an incredible, remarkable young woman. And for me, it's so great that she's won a slam at 20 and, and not that, you know, she almost wins one for a few years and gets to like 26, 27. And people wonder whether she did fulfilled her, her potential. She's, she's done it. And she did it through her own skill, her ability to problem solve on the court, coming from behind so many times in that US Open. You know, you got to remember, she got to the Roland Garros final last year. This has been coming. It's been coming. She just needed that extra little tweak of, you know, somebody in her ear, the introduction of Brad Gilbert, Pear Reba as well, um, the sort of manoeuvring of people in her team into the right places. I love the way she deals with Brad Gilbert during matches. It makes me laugh so much, you know. Uh, shut up. Just shut up. You know, it's like, <laughs> stop. Please, 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 it's all very polite as well. Please stop talking. You know, I think a lot of people would be a lot, a lot less polite with Brad sometimes, but Brad's influence has been amazing. You know, he clearly is so, so good at getting his message across. She has taken, she's taken it on board. I think she will, she'll definitely be world number one at some stage. She, you know, all being well with injuries and stuff, she will be, she'll win several grand slams and she, she will, she'll also have that advantage that Federer had and Nadal maybe had in the locker room that everyone likes them. 
you know, and Alcaraz too, you know. So I can't see anyone thinking Coco, oh, what a cow, you know, this is what a horrible person she is. You know, I really want to beat her. They'll just, they won't have that advantage. They won't have that edge. So I think she's everything well set. I mean, praise also given to to the father because it's not easy in this sport. We know it's not easy when the player, especially a woman player, tell daddy, please just for for a moment, please just step aside. And it wasn't done with, there was no issue. It was just, let's try, you know, let's try to change. And there's been no tension around it. Brad Gilbert was, I mean, I was surprised because we have Apostolos Tsitsipas on the other side. But just, it can be done, you know, it can be done. Just let, let me the space, just be my dad and let's see how it goes. No bad feeling, nothing. And it has been working perfectly. Maybe it's also a good example. I mean, it doesn't mean it will not come back at some point. You know, just let's eat the breaks and see what happens. And you'll notice Corey in the suite drinking wine. So everybody wins, really. It's, he has a chance to... Um, before we go, Marian Bartoli, Pierce Brosnan, what is this about? You, you notice him while oh you're on God, the you board? Don't know Please that? share oh, that story it's a classic. with Josh. But, 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 but elaborate. <laughs> you know that exactly. Please elaborate for this audience. Josh, I've been saying it like a million times. I know, but for, for, for oh this God. audience, they may not know the story of you and 007 Pierce Brosnan. And, you know, again, Coco had her moment with Justin Bieber, yours with James Bond. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make it very short. So I'm playing my first ever semi-final for Grand Slam, which is happening at Wimbledon in 2007. Again, Justine and Anna Boy in the world coming from winning Roland Garros. She was winning everything this year. She beat Serena before me and she's playing against me and it's my first time on center court. And obviously I had no clue about the Royal Box, what was happening in the Royal Box, what was the protocol in the Royal Box. Now that I'm invited every year, I know, but back then, nothing. So I'm playing second semi-final. So Venus is playing first. She's beating Anna Ivanovic. I'm coming second. And the etiquette when you're into the Royal Box and you have to stay for the whole day and all the matches are played on that day, obviously, was women's semi-final day. But you have a small refreshment when the first semi-final is over until the next players are coming for the second semi-final. But by the time that Pierce had this small refreshment, I lost the first at 6-1. So <laughs> he's coming down sits front row of the wild box i'm getting my i'm about to serve so i'm coming and collect my balls from the ball kid and i'm seeing him sitting in the front row of the wild box and i'm like there is just no chance i'm gonna keep playing that bad in front of him because i lost the first in 25 minutes you have to do something whatever you want to take one minute between each point whatever it is but you stay at least an hour and a half more on that court and thinking about that i completely forgot who else was watching me so i had um Founder and CEO of Nike, I was sponsored by Nike back then. Phil Knight sitting in my box, completely forgot about it, and just was focusing only if Pierce was clapping for me when I was winning the point. Guess what? He wanted me to win. So he started to cheer on me, and I'm leading 3 1. It's getting tight. It's 5 1 in the second. I'm down 15 40. I held, and then after that, I went on a run like I played the best things of my life. So I couldn't miss the ball. I was hitting every line. I was, so I won the second set 7 5. I was at 5 love in the third. Again, Justin and I number one in the world. I think my dad couldn't even believe how well I could have played tennis. And then she held it 5-1 and served it out, closed it out to love, and won 6-1. I'm walking out of the court. He's waiting for me on the top of the stairs out of the royal box to congratulate me. The next morning, because we play Friday night, next morning he's sending me 100 red roses into the locker room to wish me good luck for the women's final. He was not there, so I lost. And in 2013, he showed up into the final and I won. 
So obviously it was his fault I didn't win Wimbledon twice. That's a whole thing. I imagine Tom Cruise had come to the US Open and see you. He would have won the US Open too. That was pretty special. All right, gang. For our panel, Simon Cambers, Kara Bouchard, and Pierce Brosnan's favorite tennis player, James Bond's favorite, Marion Bartoli, License to Thrill, I'm Josh Colton. Thank you for watching. Remember, subscribe and listen on all platforms. And we will catch you next time for the next episode of Match Points right here on Tennis Majors.